0: So are you guys ready to go this morning? Awesome. Would you turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2 and use your I'd love for you to start bringing your Bibles or make sure you're looking this up in your mobile device or your scrolls, as Pastor Joe always says. and uh, just follow along. We're also going to have it on the screen, but I want you to continue to get uh, practice in flipping through the pages or finding where you need to go. It will help you in your personal study. So let me just tell you a story. In 1998, I was uh, on my way from the great state of Indiana to up to Michigan to interview for a student ministry position. And I just happened to be talking to my grandpa Hargrave on the phone as I was driving. And he said, well, where are you going to interview? And I said, well, I'm going up uh, near Kalamazoo, Michigan. And he began singing the song that I had never heard before. I got a gal in Kalamazoo, zoo, 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 zoo. I thought, are you making this up? That is the weirdest song I've ever heard in my life. And he said, no, he said, it's an old, one of my old favorites from back in the the thirties or so. And so I just didn't think anything about it. Now, just as a pause in the story, just so you know, at that time, my future wife, Erica, was living 20 minutes away from Kalamazoo. And I thought. Is my grandpa prophetic? But I didn't tell him that. I didn't want to give him a big head or anything. So um, years later, I discovered a guy by the name of Glenn Miller who had sang that song, I Got a Gal in Kalamazoo. Anybody know who Glenn Miller is? Anybody listen to Big Band? Wow, lots of you guys know. I just bought the LP of it so that I could kind of be retro and cool uh, of I Got a Gal in Kalamazoo just to remind my, myself of my grandpa and um, that journey. So, but Glenn Miller's an interesting guy. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but from 1939 to 1942, he was the best-selling record artist in the United States from 1939 to 1942. Uh, In just four years, Miller had 16 number one records and 69 top 10 hits. Did you know that that was more than Elvis Presley who had 38 top 10 hits? It was more than the Beatles who only had 33 top 10 hits. But 1939, everything began to change, right? In 1942, uh, America was engulfed as the rest of the world was in a world war. And so Miller decided he wanted to serve his country. And in 1942, he volunteered to uh, join the U.S. military to entertain the troops. And he ended up joining the U.S. Air Force. But on December 15th, 1944, while on his way... To Paris, Miller's aircraft disappeared in bad weather over the English Channel. I didn't know if you knew that or not, that Glenn Miller became a missing person in 1944. Now, there are all kinds of theories and hypotheses of what might have happened. There are some interesting ones. Uh, some say that they believe he got to Paris and that he died of a heart attack in a brothel after arriving there before his ban. Some believe that his aircraft was hit by bombs uh, that were being jettisoned by Allied bombers because sometimes if they didn't go bomb something and they had to turn around rather than try to land with those bombs, they would release them over the English Channel. And they believe that Miller's plane was flying underneath those bombers and that one of the bombs hit him. One that is the most interesting to me, if you're a conspiracy theorist, is they believe that President Roosevelt... Uh, or excuse me, President Eisenhower had sent him to, uh, before he was president, over to um, Paris to secretly meet with Nazi Germany and try to hammer out a peace agreement. Regardless of the reason that he disappeared, in 1944 on December 15th, he went missing. You know, maybe you weren't familiar with the story of Glenn Miller, but maybe you're Familiar with some of the other interesting missing case, a person cases throughout history. Have you ever seen who this is? This person? Anybody want to guess? Anastasia. Disney even made a movie about her. True to life. Mostly. Kind of. Sort of. And maybe if you don't know her story, maybe you know this woman's story. Amelia Earhart. Right? How about this person? Where's he buried? Yeah, when Michael Franzese was here, who was a capo in the Columbia crime family. He told me where he was buried. I'll cost you $10 if you want to know. How about this missing person? It's not Charlton Heston, although that is the actor played Moses. But did you know that for a long time, for 40 years, a guy by the name of Moses became the most interesting missing person of the 15th century B.C. Now, let me set the stage for you. Can you imagine the most powerful country in the world? Here is Pharaoh's son, probably if you believe ancient historians or some ancient historians in line for the Pharaohship, if that's a word itself. He also had been an extraordinary strategist and military general in the Egyptian army, according to Jewish tradition that we have heard through the 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 first Christian martyr Stephen. He was powerful. Don't miss this. He was powerful in both speech and. And action. Why should that ring a bell in your mind? Because later on, what's he going to say? He's not a very good speaker. Now, he was one of the rock stars of ancient Egypt, even if rock music didn't exist yet. They did have rocks that rolled around the ground. He was popular. He was influential. And suddenly he's just gone. And the rumors must have spread throughout the kingdom. What happened to Moses? What happened to this, this good-looking guy who was chiseled in his appearance, who was a leader among leaders, who was going to be our next uh, Pharaoh? I don't know, but word on the street is, is that maybe uh, there was a Hebrew and Egyptian fighting, and Prince Moses killed the Egyptian to protect the Hebrew. Well, you know what I heard? I heard that he didn't even have Egyptian parents. I heard that there was a power struggle and that maybe Moses wanted to ascend to the throne before it was time. And you know what happens to people who mess with kings. But then there was just nothing. Gone. Was he executed? Did he get whacked by the mafia? Was there another, another shooter in the grassy knoll? What happened to Moses, the prince of Egypt? Because inquiring minds want to know. But the memory of Moses began to dissolve like the swirling sands of time, just like so many others before him. He was all but forgotten until one day when he was remembered. Forty years after last being seen, he shows up again, materializing like a mirage out of the Egyptian desert. He's unshaven with a long beard. Maybe he's dirty from the sand that swirled around him, wearing the clothes of a Bedouin shepherd and carrying a shepherd's staff. My, oh, my, look how the mighty Moses has fallen, they must have thought. Why was he here? Where has he been for the last 40 years? Why did he stay away for so long? What was his story? And why come back now, even though we're going to read in a little bit that the king that was kind of the father figure to Moses is now dead and another sits on the throne. Why come back now looking like this if you want your shot at the throne? But I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here this morning just a little bit. And so let's back up a little bit farther. Although the Egyptians may have never known his story and what happens, Moses records it for us in the Jewish Holy Scriptures to be shared over three millennia and more. So if you want to look at your Bibles in Exodus chapter 2, that's where we're going to find ourselves today. And we're going to see two distinct pictures begin to come into focus the first one is the big picture the second one will be my picture or your picture and this is what it says in exodus chapter 2 years passed and the king of egypt died but the israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery they cried out for help and their cry rose up to god god heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant promise to abraham isaac and jacob He looked down on the people of Israel and he knew it was time to act. Now, here's the big picture, friends, because God. God cares about the history of the world because it's his story, right? And he looks onto the the nation, the Hebrew nation. and He sees one and a half million people who have been groaning under slavery for centuries. And God is concerned about those one and a half million people and what they're going through and about their cries and He remembers His covenant because God is concerned for His well, the well-being of His people. And guess what? Today, you are His people if you've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior and He cares about the big story of where you live and the circumstances that you're living. He cares about the Ukraine. He cares about the people all over the world who are suffering for the cause of Christ. And friends, I don't want you to miss what he says in verses 23 and 24. They cried out for help and their cry rose up to God. And friends, don't miss this. If you have your Bibles, underline it here. If you have a mobile device, highlight it here and save it. It says God heard their cries, their groaning. Now, why is that important to us today? Has there ever been a time in your life when you were suffering and you cried out to God and the silence is deafening? Have you been in that place where you wondered where God was, why God didn't answer, why God was ignoring your cries? But I want you to know, friends, Yahweh is a God that hears. Now this is such an important concept that we see it being played out in the life of Elijah. Remember when he's on the pro- the mountain of uh, Mount Carmel? Um, my dad and I had an interesting experience there. I won't tell you about, but on the mountain of Carmel, you remember that Elijah is there and the prophets of Baal and Asherah, and they're beginning to see which God is the one true living God. And so the The, the false prophets get to go first and they're cutting themselves and they're crying out, you know, for God, their God to intercede and burn up the sacrifice and nothing happens. And Elijah begins to mock them. This is one of my favorite stories in the old Testament. I've told it to you before. I know, but I'm telling you again. And Elijah is sitting there in the shade, maybe with all of the people of Israel around. He's like, Hey, you know what? Maybe your God's just taking a nap. And in the Hebrew, this is what it says. Or maybe your God is in the bathroom. And he just can't hear you yet. There is a stark contrast between whether God can hear or God doesn't hear. And what we see throughout scripture time and time again is that we serve a God who hears. But maybe you're wondering if God has a hearing problem. You know, there's an old story about a couple who'd been married 40 years. And um, the husband began to think that his wife had a hearing problem. Usually it's the other way around, right, ladies? And so he went to their family doctor who he had a great relationship with. And he's like, look, I think that my wife is losing her hearing, but I don't know. What should I do? It's kind of a sensitive issue. And the doc says, well, it's easy. Why don't you just go uh, one day when you're in the, the watching TV and in the living room and she's in the kitchen. Why don't you just say in a conversational, normal voice, honey, what's for dinner? And if she doesn't respond to you, get a little bit closer. And if she doesn't respond, get a little bit closer until you're standing right behind her. That way you can gauge how well she's hearing. And so one day he thought, well, that's a great idea. And so he was watching TV and, and he hears, um, you know, he thinks, I'm going to try this. He says, honey, what's for dinner? No response. He gets a little bit closer, 20 feet closer. Honey, what's for dinner? No response. He's thinking, man, I was right all along. He goes up directly behind her and he says, honey, what's for dinner? And she says, for the third time, fried chicken. You see, when we don't think that God is listening or responding, God is moving behind the scenes to fulfill his purpose for your life. Uh, You remember that old song in the 80s? In his time, in his time, he makes all things beautiful. You know where that comes from? Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 says, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. We can't see the big puzzle. All we can see is the little puzzle piece in our hands. And if we only focus on the little puzzle piece, we are going to miss out on the great story that he is writing. uh, Not only about you, but about the people who worship him and what he's doing throughout not only this season, but throughout history. All to bring people into a loving, acknowledged, embracing relationship with our creator. So we have the big picture, but we also have my picture and your picture. They're important. God is working globally, but he's also working personally. Look at uh, Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire. And from the middle of a bush, Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. And when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now, can you imagine in your mind's eye what that moment must have been like? Half of his life to this point had been lived in the wilderness. Does it feel like half of your life has been lived in the wilderness? Half of your life you've been searching, half of your life you've been struggling, half of your life you've been questioning and calling. I mean, at this point in Moses' life, it's been 40 years since he was removed from power. It had been 40 years since he was removed from his significance. It was 40 years since he'd been removed from his relevance. 40 years after he thought he heard heard God's voice. But now, in a more intimate and tangible way than he ever could have imagined, he encounters God. You know, I think that there's something to be said about encountering God in our wilderness. And how it's in our wilderness that we see him most clearly. And you know what God wants to do for Moses? He wants to redeem him. To tell a man who feels useless, to tell a man who feels like a failure, to tell a man who feels like he's past his prime, that God has a plan for his life. That God is not done with him, that everything that he has experienced up until this point over the last 80 years had a purpose. And just now at the young old age of 80, he's about to see what that purpose is. You know what I'm reminded of in this moment? I'm reminded of the, the story in John that John shares with us of Jesus and Peter, right? What did Peter had done? Peter had denied Christ three times and it, a lot of it happened around a charcoal fire. And then the rooster crows and Peter recognizes his failure. The man that he said was his best friend. The man that he said was his Messiah. The man that he would come to recognize as his Lord He had denied because of the pressures of this world. And after the resurrection, they're fishing. Jesus shows up, says, hey, can I cook you breakfast? Peter recognizes, John recognizes who Jesus is. Peter swims in the water with all of his clothes on, gets to shore before everyone else, and Jesus is there. He cooks him breakfast over a charcoal fire. And all of a sudden, those memories come flashing, flooding back. And Jesus takes Peter aside and he says, do you love me? Jesus, you know, I love you. Do you love me? You know, I love you. Do you love me? Uh, You know that I love you. And Peter's heart is broken because he thinks Jesus is confronting him with his failure. But what we know is that Jesus is restoring Peter because a failed choice, a failed decision does not mean a failed life. What's important is not our past. What's important is who Jesus is. And Jesus died on a cross to cleanse you of your past, to cleanse you of your shame, to cleanse you of your guilt. Don't you want to be free today? And I think in that moment, what God is doing is saying, Peter, you may, or Moses, whatever your name is, maybe his middle name was Peter. He's saying, Moses, listen. Listen. I know you thought you were ready 40 years ago, but you weren't ready. There are lessons you needed to learn. There was something inside of you that needed to change so that you could change the world and the history of humanity. Can you imagine to a man who felt like he had failed, that God was going to use him, to, to that, that he would be known... For three millennia, 3,000 plus years, we're still talking about this guy who felt like a failure, who felt like he had missed the mark, who felt like he had missed the boat. So what does God want to do with your life? What does he want to reveal to you this morning? This is what I think it is. God still has a mission for you. 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 So what are you going to do with that? Verses 7 through 10 say this. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hevites, and Jebusites now live. Try to say that three times fast. (laughs) Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me and I have seen them how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go. Now go. For I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. Now don't miss how God's story, the big picture story, intersects with Moses' story and my story and your story. God uses our story in the greater context of the big picture story to influence those around us. And then for some of us, not me, but some of you... Maybe the story of history. Because your story matters. Your calling matters. Your mission, if you choose to accept it, matters. And as the Holy Spirit is stirring inside of you this morning... And you have that gnawing feeling in the back of your mind that you want to avoid and not listen to because it's going to make you uncomfortable. Remember that God did not reveal his message in his mission to Moses until he was 80 years old. But from the time he was born, I believe that Moses had an idea of what he was created to do. What are you created to do? What has always been something for God that you have been gifted with talents and, and gifts and a personality to accomplish? And what are you going to do about it? Because either you're in the seizing of preparation or you are in the season of action. And if now is a time of action, you must step forward. And if now is a time of seasoning, you must be patient. Because God is not done with you. God is not done with you, my friends. Verse 11, this is how Moses responds. But Moses, what's that word? Protested to God. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Oh, how 40 years have changed this man. We're going to talk about that next week. But I think Moses asked the question that many of us ask. Can God still use damaged goods? Can God still use damaged goods? There's something truly profound about this moment, right? Forty years earlier, Moses believed he was the answer to the Hebrew problem. Forty years later, Moses will do whatever is possible to avoid going back to Egypt. Because the truth is, is even if you love to swim, once you've been bitten by a shark, you're not interested in walking in the surf anymore. Forty years in the wilderness have changed him. Maybe it's changed you too. I love what God says. God answered, I will be with you. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? We see it all throughout the New Testament when we feel lost, when we feel alone, when we feel disconnected. Jesus came with the redemptive name of what? Emmanuel, which means, and he left in Matthew chapter 28 with the promise, and lo, what? I will be with you. I never figured out if that means he won't be with us on airplanes or not, but definitely lo, he will be with you. But I think it's about recognizing your source of power today. Because it's not you. You don't have the power to fulfill the mission that God has called for you. It's only through Jesus Christ that you have that power. Back in the 90s, there was an incredible song that came out by, uh, I can't remember the name, of CNC Music Factory maybe. But the, the gist of it was, as you get to this point, and, and every guy has to sing falsetto because it's like, I got the power. It's getting, it's getting, it's getting kind of hectic. Right? you do not have the power it's not in you there is no internal force that is going to allow you to accomplish what god has called you to do but there is a power inside of you that lives and is able and wants to be used by the greater good of god to to fulfill his purpose for your life because you are a masterpiece created long ago for his purposes So turn to the person next to you and say, you don't have the power. And you can turn right back and say, you don't have the power either. And now everybody sing with me. God's got the power. I never figured out why I didn't try out for American Idol. Listen, friends, your calling is not determined by your circumstances. It's determined by God. And from the moment you were born, I believe that we innately know who we are supposed to be and what we are supposed to accomplish. But it's only through the wilderness season that we're prepared to be God's instrument and tool to fulfill the great things that he has planned for us long ago there's a story of a woman and I've heard it years ago but it's a story and her name was Beth as the story goes and she was waiting to board a plane and she just felt lost she felt like her life had not measured up to what she wanted it to that she had so many unfulfilled dreams so many missteps so many broken opportunities and she just pulled out her Bible she's waiting she's in that moment of just really seeking God and she just began to pray God I don't know what you want to do with me but would you please show me Because I used to think that you had created me to change the world. Now I don't even know if I can change my socks. I mean, I'm so broken and so lost. So Lord, please just guide me. And as she was reading her Bible, she was beginning to feel a stirring in her heart and she didn't know what that meant. And she looked up and everyone was looking at her and she's like, what just happened? And she got real self-conscious. And then till she noticed that they weren't looking at her, they were looking behind her and she turned around. And what she saw was a, Stewardess who was pushing the wheelchair of one of the ugliest men she had ever seen in her life. She says that he was old and wizened and wrinkly and had really long, gray, tangled hair, and he just looked a mess. And it made her feel uncomfortable, as a matter of fact, um, as she saw him. But then something began to to bubble up inside of her, and she felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, you need to... Interact with this gentleman, and she said, God, please, no, not him, not now. But she just couldn't get rid of that feeling. God is telling me to do something. God is telling me I need to intervene. And so she didn't know what she was going to do, but she stood up and she began walking towards this man. And she said, She felt like she knew what she was supposed to ask him. So she came up to him and she got down in front of him and said, Sir, may I have the honor of brushing your hair for you. She had a young daughter at home that had really long hair and so she was an expert when it came to getting out tangles and doing it without pulling the hair real hard and she asked him, may I have the honor of brushing your hair? And he looked at her and he said, huh? And she said, oh no, Lord, please don't tell me he's going deaf. And he said, hey, I have a hearing problem. And if you're going to speak to me, you need to speak to me more loudly because I can't hear you. And she was doubly embarrassed at that moment because now people were kind of beginning to watch. And so she said a little bit louder. She gathered herself and she said, may I have the honor of brushing your hair? Now everyone was tuned in to the scene That was beginning to play out in front of them. Man looked shocked. He said, well, I guess if you really want to. And she said, well, sir, I don't have a brush. I just thought maybe I could help in some way. And he said, hey, look behind me in my bag. There's a brush. And she said, oh, great. Thanks, God. And so she got out the brush and she began to work on the tangles without hurting him too badly. And it took a long time for them to do that. Everyone is just now watching the scene as it plays out before them. And just as she's getting finished, she begins to stand up and she hears this man softly crying. And she walks around in front of him and she says, sir, what's wrong? I didn't mean to upset you. And he said, no, no, that's not it. And she wondered if she was supposed to lead this man to Christ. And so she says, do you know Jesus, sir? And he says, absolutely, I know Jesus. You see, before I married my beautiful bride, she told me that she couldn't marry a man who did not believe in Jesus. And so I began studying. And through my study, I discovered truly who he was. And I gave my life to him and have been trying to live for him ever since. But you know, the the difficult thing for me is that I've been really sick lately. In fact, I've been so sick that I had to go come to this city to have a special operation. My wife couldn't come with me because she's so frail. And as I was laying in a hospital bed, I just, I've been here for weeks. And now I finally get to go home and see her. But I've just been so concerned because my hair is so messy and I look so disheveled. And I didn't want to see my wife looking like this now tears are running down beth's face are running down his face and there's not a dry eye anybody in that terminal who is watching as he got ready to leave she put her arm around him and said your wife is going to be so glad to see you you look great and he thanked her and grabbed her hand and they pushed him onto the plane the stewardess who was there who had pushed him into that area who was crying and trying to compose herself. Why did you do that? Why, oh, why would you ask that man to do something that was so awkward and I don't understand and now I see just what was going on and that man was praying for God to intervene in his life and and I didn't see it. Why would you do that? And she said, because God created me to change lives of those around me. Friends, I don't know where you are, or what's going on, but I know that the Holy Spirit still speaks to us through the prompting inside of our hearts. He puts those, those kind of thoughts on the edge of our brain to, to be kind to other people. Listen, the two greatest commandments Jesus said is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, which is the J- Jewish Shema from Deuteronomy 6. And then he adds a second command, which is from Leviticus. He says, and love your neighbor as yourself. If we would begin to love the neighbors around us, it would change our culture. It would change our communities. It would change our towns. It would change our families. It would change our marriages. Friends, if we would begin to be kind and love the those who are suffering and we looked off to the needs of others rather than our own needs, it would be amazing how our community, how our culture, how our country, how our world would change because everybody needs someone to love them as Jesus loves them. Everyone needs someone to speak hope and truth into their life. And listen, friends, there are people who are on the edge of their sanity, wondering if God even hears them today and you may be the answer to their prayer. Not because of how great you are or the power that you hold, but because of the power of Jesus Christ in you. And when we are humbled by his grace and by his power, the thing that we know is that we begin looking to the needs of other people. And you can be involved. You have neighbors, you have friends, you have family who could come and be a part of this service, or our weekend services or Wednesday night. You have friends and family and maybe you can be involved in going on a mission trip down to West Virginia or across the country or around the world to serve other people. But when we get our eyes off of our own needs and begin to focus on others, it's amazing how God allows your story to play out. But friends, rarely does our purpose play out the way that we think it should. And thank God for that because he has much greater plans for you than you ever had for yourself. Let's pray. Just a second. Friends, if you need prayer today, if you're struggling with something, we're going to have some people up here who can pray for you. I'll be over there. If you have never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, now is the time because we are not guaranteed another moment in this life. What choice are you going to make today because God wants to change your life this morning? Are you willing for him to do that? Let's pray. God, we just thank you for your love and your grace. And Lord, I don't know what the folks in this room have been through. I don't know what season they're in, whether they're in the land of Egypt, rising up the ranks. and being blessed by everything that they touch or if they are in the wilderness wondering about their purpose and wondering about their past decisions and wondering about their mistakes and their failures and how they've been humbled by life. But God, we do know this, that there is no purpose without you. There is no hope without you. There is no redemption without you. And God, we want to have our lives redeemed by you. And so we just pray today, wherever we are, that we would cry out in silent prayer to you, Lord, change me, Lord, redeem me, Lord, I pray. I I want to give you my life so that my life can be forever changed and used in your hands. And so, God, today, help us to love others as we love ourselves. And more importantly, help us to love you with everything that we are. Lord, as we get ready to sing here today, as we get ready to stand and sing, we just pray that the power of your Holy Spirit would flow through us and nudge us on to great deeds that humanity may not see, but will be recorded in the book of life for serving you. Thank you, God, for those opportunities. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.